season. I'm Marty Bannister. Adam Dell's our showrunner, and we're glad to have you with us for another edition of Ohio Football Weekly. Yeah, week number five comes up on Friday night. And the NFL getting ready for its second week of play. The colleges are heading into third. And for some, it will be their, uh, I think, fourth game. I think some teams will have, already, will have played a fourth game by coming up this weekend. But the high school football season is at the halfway point. Big program coming up for you tonight. We're so excited to have you with us on all of our social media platforms. We're on all of them. Instagram, TikTok. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube, and just look up Yamo Media, Y-A-M-O-M-I-D-A, Yamo Media, and that's how you can find this program. And we're with you every Wednesday night from 6.30 to 7.30 live, and then you can also see clips of the show the rest of the week. Our crack staff does a great job of getting all those clips up for you to look at. In case you missed any part of the show, you can go back and watch and see some of our interviews and get a chance to hear some of the things we talk about on this program. We are basically a high school football program. Now, we do delve occasionally into a couple of other topics that may free Fringe on college football, and that'll be part of the first part of our program that comes up here shortly when Brendan Gulick visits with us from Buckeyes Now SI. We're going to talk a little recruiting. If you're not familiar with how recruiting works these days in college football, well, there's no question it's the lifeblood. You hear that used so often. It's the lifeblood of every athletic program, and, and it certainly is, but it's really become a business now. With uh, You factor NIL into it, the name, image, and likeness, and all the other things that go on surrounding it. And Brendan covers uh, Ohio State for Buckeyes Now SI. He does a great job covering the Buckeyes. We're going to talk about what it's like for recruits to come to a game at Ohio State and the type of atmosphere they run into and what they see and how much NIL is playing a role in all of this now. So we'll do that with Brendan Gulick coming up in this first half hour of the program. Second half hour, Jay Sherritt will visit with us, the head football coach at Pickering and Central. They're coming off a big rivalry win last week. They knocked off Pickering and North 14-7. to And you talk about a brutal start to the schedule. They've already played Cincinnati Elder. Uh, they had their big rival, Pickering and North. And now they're at 2-2, two and two, heading into week number five. And they've got a big one coming up with Gehanna. Uh, that game's been moved to Thomas Worthington High School, I believe, because of construction uh, at Gehanna Lincoln's Field. Uh, if you're a Central Ohio High School football fan and want to see that game, that'll be played at Thomas Worthington High School on Friday nights. So we'll talk to Jay Sher coming up about that. And then another portion of the program I'm really excited about. Uh, I do a lot of work at Ohio University as part of their broadcast uh, courses down there with the uh, ESPN3 classes. And we have a young lady joining us in the program tonight who has put together a great story on what is a great story. Uh, Tayden Carpenter is the quarterback at Ironton. The young man has been deaf since the age of two, and he's the quarterback for the Ironton football team. If you know anything about football in that part of the state, Ironton football is a pretty big deal. In fact, they're ranked number one in the state this week in their region and in the computer polls as well, too, the Fighting Tigers. And she did a great story on this young man. We're going to let you see her story and then bring Chloe on and have her talk about that, what it was like to, to do this story. And I know she's something she's been very excited to get a chance to do. And she's part of the Gridiron Glory show that runs on Fridays in Southeast Ohio on WOUB television. So we'll do all of that coming up in the program. We also have a poll up for you as well, too, on our uh, web pages and our media. Uh, Twitter page, my Twitter page, though I'm trying to spit out, <laughs> uh, my Twitter page, at Marty Banner, so you can check it out there. We're asking you, and again, this is not scientific at all, but we always get a lot of response to this whenever we bring a guest on from one part of the state. We're asking you tonight, what part of the state of Ohio plays the best high school football? Central, Southeast, Northwest, Southwest, or Northeast? And you can vote on that. We're already getting some great responses on that as well, too. So we are so glad you're with us tonight here for Ohio Football Weekly with you each and every Wednesday from 630 to 730. The halfway point of the regular season is coming up 
on Friday night. Unbelievable. We'll also go around the state with our top seven, give you a rundown of what happened all across the state. There was one huge upset last week, and number one got beat last Friday night. We'll talk about that, and we'll also give you some of the notables from week number four of the high school football season. So glad to have you with us. Brendan Gulick visits with us. When we return, this is Ohio Football Weekly. Hello, I am Annie J. Ross Womack, the Executive Director of the Ohio Sickle Cell and Health Association, and I'm here to talk to the parents and student athletes about a very important topic. The NCAA has instituted different standards for all divisions of student athletes. Before you can play sports in any college or university, you must present a negative trait status or hemoglobin status documentation. Your hemoglobin status is taken at birth with the newborn screening. And what they do is they run your blood for any abnormality or any birth defect. There are thousands of newborn screening birth defects in this country. For more information about sickle cell disease, sickle cell trait testing, you can call our offices at 614-228-0157. Or you can visit us via web at ohiosicklecell.org. First time I went. And welcome back to Ohio Football Weekly on Yavo Media. I'm Marty Banners. We're glad to have you with us here on this Wednesday night. Well, as we mentioned prior to the break, of course, high school football recruiting is such a big deal. Uh, not only in the state of Ohio, but all the states that play high school football. It's, it's such a big deal for colleges, and uh, Ohio is certainly a destination point for all the country's Division I coaches, two, three, NAIA, you go on down the line, junior college as well, too, because of the amount of talent that rolls out of the state each and every year. I thought it would be interesting to bring on someone who has a chance to be around what Ohio State does recruiting-wise. Now, again, we're not focusing on Ohio State in specific because it's the Buckeyes and uh, it's the easy target in something like this, but they've really taken it to another level. It started with Urban Meyer when he came in, and now Ryan Day has certainly continued that. The amount of uh, things that go on on a day when recruits come to a game at Ohio Stadium, they are mostly secluded from the media, but you know they're there. You've seen them. If you're there at games, you see the, the long line of students, athletes that are on the sidelines, and it's, it's an amazing thing to see. I've had a chance to see it firsthand in my years on the radio network on the sideline, what it's like on those sidelines. We want to bring somebody on who's around the, the Buckeye program on game days to talk about that and the recruiting process as a whole and how NIL factors into it. And I found a pretty good one. He's a, a very talented broadcaster. He's doing many, many things and is the editor and the host of BuckeyesNowSI.com. I had a chance to visit with Brendan Gulick. Brendan, I guess, first of all, with the way – and everybody knows how important recruiting is. I mean, you hear this term. It's the lifeblood of every program in college athletics, and I think that's a pretty accurate description of how it works. But we'll dive into some of the other aspects of it here coming up as far as how, how Ohio State handles it and the way the Buckeyes are still a force in this. And I think some people wondered when Urban left if Ryan Day would be able to keep that going. Let's broach that part of it first. It, it, it's pretty amazing what Ryan Day has done to keep this going when, when Urban Meyer left. I think a lot of people thought, well, we don't know. But it, it's if anything, it's even better right now, isn't it? It's amazing how, and, and Marty, thanks for having me. Um, it's amazing how rare college coaching head coach opportunities come about when a program is essentially at its peak. You know, it, it you just don't see too often that a coach takes over a, a mega successful program that has the tradition, the history, the present, and and for all reasons to think the future 
you know, kind of all firing at once. Ryan Day walked into a situation here that was pretty remarkable. Uh, and to his credit, man, you know, he's 35 and four, I think, or 36 and four. Um, and yeah, the four losses have stung for sure, but yeah, that's a pretty darn good winning percentage. And it's going to feel a lot better if all of a sudden we can start to see, you know, the, the Buckeyes really right there at the end of the year, holding the trophy as, as the last team standing. And, and I think there is a parallel perhaps to what Georgia went through a team that by all accounts was, was winning all the recruiting battles, you know, it didn't matter the, the recruiting service ranked them consistently, if not number one, pretty darn close to being the number one team in the country, uh, bringing in incoming classes. And and that narrative started to become, hey, when is Kirby Smart going to finally get this done? Mm-hmm. I don't think we're quite at that point with Ryan Day, but I do think that the expectations going into this year are probably what they would have been going into 2020 had COVID not happened. Because you had Justin Fields coming back, you had a bunch of weapons coming back, and you felt maybe snake bitten after the way the Clemson game ended in the bowl game in 2019. And you really thought, hey, that could be a team that'll win the title. Obviously, COVID changed that. And I know the Buckeyes got to the national title game that year, but it just nothing about that entire season felt normal. Um, and obviously, when you're as shorthanded as Ohio State was against a really good Alabama team, it didn't, it didn't look good. Um, last year, you didn't know. You had a new quarterback. You weren't sure. Obviously, it largely went well. The defense was the problem. Mm-hmm. The first two games of the year this year, I know they haven't created a turnover yet, but the defense hasn't been a problem. Uh, and the offense last week reminded us that they can be pretty good too, uh, including the fact that they had, you know, you look at last year's group, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, your top three options. And Julian Fleming was on the field somewhat regularly. Uh, Jackson's been hurt. Julian's been hurt. And it's Marvin Harrison and Mecca Igbuka, Xavier Johnson, Jaden Ballard, uh, and Cade Stover that are getting it done. So it's a new crop of guys showing that from a recruiting angle, Marty, it's working. I don't think there is too much external pressure because of that to win the national title. But that is the expectation, and this group thinks that they can get it done. It's interesting, Brendan, when I was around on the sidelines and covering Urban Meyer, the thing that stood out to me was the level that the recruiting – the recruiting obviously was still very good under Jim Trestle, and I'm sure a lot of his players will tell you, hey, we were bringing in the same type of kids. But there's no doubt when Urban Meyer got there, it went from a certain level of player to another level player i mean you could just see the type of kids i remember being in the locker room after they beat nebraska in 2012 and standing outside and seeing a young ezekiel elliott walk through the door and seeing uh, a young uh, mike thomas walk through the door and seeing the type of kids that walked in it was a different level and to me brendan that's the thing that's been impressive about ryan day and his recruiting is he's kept that going they still have and bring in that level of type of kid don't they I, I want to take it back even further. I had a really, really great conversation yesterday with Orlando Pace. I spent almost six hours with him and, and we were uh, we recorded a podcast for about a half an hour that I'd love for folks to check out. I think they'll enjoy it. But I asked him about recruiting mm-hmm. and, and and the idea that he's got a son on the team now. He's got a son who has an offer. Makes us all feel old, doesn't it? He's got yeah, a- <laughs> right. And, and, and I said, hey, I bet it wasn't like like it was back in the mid nineties when, when you were being recruited and he laughed and he goes, you know, I, 
I'm obviously an Ohio kid, right? I was born in Sandusky and, and I had to figure out a way to make sure coaches knew who I was. That's not really a problem anymore. No. Um, it's, it's a totally different time in recruiting because technology allows coaches to see what they want to see when they want to see it and reach out to a kid almost instantly. And to your point, you know, coach Tressel wins a national title and starts to really solidify Ohio state as a truly elite national program. Again, after a few lean years, urban gets here and it explodes because of his, um, his drive to be the best in absolutely everything individually and as a team. Uh, and, and, you know, you had a bunch of really good NFL players in the last seven to eight years now that are recent Ohio state alums. I thought the, the season opener this year with Notre Dame in town was the perfect time to schedule a game like that because it's the week before the NFL season starts. And while, you know, Ryan day laughed and he goes, it depends when you would have asked me last week if it was a good idea to play them or not. If you <laughs> asked me on Friday, terrible idea. If you asked me on Sunday, awesome idea. idea. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's obviously a little bit prisoner of the moment. But the idea that you can bring a lot of those former recent Buckeyes back who are all having good NFL careers, and it's a who's who, mm-hmm. right? It's not just a few guys that were role players here and there. Joe Burrow, Sam Hubbard, Draymond Jones, Ezekiel Elliott, Justin Fields. I mean, Terry McLaurin, everybody that wanted to come to that game made it on the sideline. And then you had LeBron there. And then you had Orlando Pace there. And you had anybody who was somehow connected to Ohio State football at the shoe to open the year with a whole bunch of kids. There were 100 recruits, and 10 of them were uncommitted five-stars. And you mean to tell me that as a recruit, if I'm Dylan Rayola, a really highly recruited quarterback, and Ohio State is selling itself for me, but I can go stand on the field pregame and talk to Justin Fields and pick his brain, or Joe Burrow and pick his brain, or go get a picture with LeBron James? I mean, come on, man. It's it's almost unfair. Like, mm-hmm. if you're if you're Iowa, a really good program in a Power 5 conference in the Big Ten, how do you compete with that? Like, I, you know, so... The, the Buckeyes have an advantage where, yeah, it's it's chaotic, man. It's a zoo on game day for a lot of these kids and their families that are coming in. But they get an opportunity to see and feel what it would be like on game day. And whether or not you love the hype machine that comes with all of this is uh, not part of this conversation. It exists, mm. and it's real, and it's tangible for these kids, and it works. That was going to be my next question because, again, that was one of the noticeable changes that I saw in my years there was how all of that changed, the music, the atmosphere, the way recruits were treated. Again, not that Jim Trussell wasn't doing a good job because he was. I mean, they won a national championship after all and played in two other title games. So it wasn't as if it dropped off. But Urban Meyer took it to a completely different level. And he understood that because that's the way it was done in the SEC. That was the mentality there as far as when you bring a high school kid in here, a high school football recruit, it's got to be a show. They have to understand that this is the place to be. And I'll reference back what I mentioned to you earlier about that Nebraska game that year. I heard him in the locker room basically yelling at some of those kids, you're crazy if you don't come here. 
because of the atmosphere, because of everything that surrounded it. And that's what it is. You have to really sell these kids because it's uh, it, it's a show. And it like the, and, and you mentioned the Notre Dame game. That had to be a special night for those kids to be down there. Oh, it was amazing. The only problem is now you better have the NIL money to match it. Because <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you can have all the other reasons in the world why you should come to school here. And yet, if somebody gets a bag of cash to go somewhere else, money talks. And Ryan Day doesn't really like that about college football right now. He's made it pretty clear. He thinks there needs to be some guardrails. I've been talking about that for, for over a year now, that I think it's insane that um, we don't have what feels like a true set of rules that everybody's playing by. I like college football, and I don't want it to change to the point we don't recognize it anymore, which is right. why I feel that way not because I'm worried about Ohio state falling behind. They're good enough that they're going to be able to adjust and, and it's not going to hurt them in the long term. I, it would take something cataclysmic for Ohio state football to, to lose its relevance. I, I can't really see how that would happen. They have the resources, they have the tradition, they have the current players, they have the former players there. The recruiting has, has not dropped off one bit. There's no reason to think Ohio state's going to suffer. But if you don't start figuring out a way to legislate some of the crazy NIL stuff that's going on, it's it's going to get out of hand. And that's a great point. I, I, I would, would wonder what Orlando Pace thinks about that. Uh, and I know you have a podcast. I'll give you a chance to talk about that again coming up with him here uh, in, in a few moments. But again, that's one of the major differences these days. I mean, we've all seen it here in the last year and a half how this NIL money has certainly changed that part of recruiting. And as you mentioned, I think very accurately, it's taken that to another level as well, too. So when you talk about something being a show, well, there's a lot of dough involved in this, too. And it's you're right. It's going to take it to a different level. I think the other thing, too, Brendan, in watching all this, it's really – you see this the Power 5 schools and now a lot of folks think there's such a separation – this could take that to a wider level in a heartbeat as well, too, couldn't it, as far as all those dollars are concerned? Yeah, it's it's just – it's wild. It's hard to predict how any of this is really going to play out. Um, I'm not really even sure what else to say because I, I feel like so much of it would just be reckless speculation on okay. how the direction of this stuff can go. It, it just feels like the full-blown Wild West. And for people that love college football, things are changing a little too quickly. Like, in my opinion, Marty – College football is great because it, it thrives on regionality. It's it, it let, let's take out the Ohio state Michigan thing for a second, because that's such a big rivalry. Mm-hmm. Let's say you went to Iowa and I went to Iowa state or, you know, you went to Washington and I went to Washington state mm-hmm. and we work together and it's, it's rivalry week and you're standing at the water cooler at work, you know, or maybe we're brothers and we chose different schools. Like, that's the stuff that makes it fun. Right. And it's hard to get that in the NFL because you have a tidier city, but like there's there's a little bit of a personal thing missing from that, that people feel so much more invested in college football. And I just hope that the name, image, and likeness stuff doesn't ruin the sport. I think there's a place for it. I'm happy for kids that, that are capitalizing on that. I actually think somewhere along the way, this bubble is going to burst a little bit and and- right. Agreed. Some of the crazy dollar amounts that kids are getting are going to come back down to planet Earth a little bit. Um, 
I'm a capitalist. You're worth what the market says you're worth. Like, right. I'm, I'm not going to hate at anybody for making money here. I just think that the sport is going to get, uh, it, it, it's, if it's not already there, it's dangerously close to being so ungoverned that we won't enjoy it the way we used to. The, the balance sheet expectations for the SEC when Oklahoma and Texas join that league Right. Are that their gross revenue in the SEC is going to exceed the gross revenue of the NCAA? Why do they need the NCAA anymore if that's the case? It's like yeah. they, we've got to come up with a better solution and, it, and it's got to come fast. No, I would agree wholeheartedly. Let, let's close on this since we've kind of focused on, on the recruiting aspect of all this. The other thing that I think certainly sets Ryan Day and what he does at Ohio State apart. I mean, is there a better group of assistant coaches, certainly not in the Big Ten, that are recruiting than the guys he has? I mean, Brian Hartline has just done a spectacular job uh, as far as his position is concerned. And Larry Johnson and, and Tony Alford and all those guys on that staff, they have just been tremendous recruiting. And you've got to have that kind of strength behind you. And that's, again, when you talk about dollars, that's why those guys are making a lot of money to do that. But that is certainly a big reason why Ohio State has kind of set itself apart from everybody else in that aspect of recruiting, isn't it? Yeah, and look, I don't want to leave the other assistant coaches off the list, but I think you hit the three that have established themselves, you know, over some lengthier period of time here. There was obviously a lot of change on the defensive side for a coaching staff. Larry Johnson, the only holdover. You know, Kevin Wilson's done a nice job in recruiting for sure. But, I mean, we're talking about a, a Brian Hartline and, and Tony Alford and Larry Johnson recruiting juggernaut that they've got going on right now. Ryan Day's the closer, you know, he's the one that's essentially making final decisions on things, but he is in a position where he is the captain of a really, really powerful machine that if you put the right parts in the right places, it's going to take care of itself. And he has done a really good job of surrounding himself with the right assistant coaches that frankly are probably capable of being head coaches elsewhere. Yeah. But for whatever reason, and maybe some of it's the fact that they're pretty well taken care of and they've got a chance to lead exceptionally highly talented kids for the arguably the program in college football. Like maybe there is some, uh, you know what, I'm I'm content as a position coach because I'm well paid and we win and I love these kids. Like I don't know for sure that that's the thought process, but I know Brian Hartline and Tony Alford and Larry Johnson love being at Ohio State and it would take something stupid to 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 truly lure those guys away um and so Ryan Day in a lot of ways man he he's he's hands-on but he lets those guys do their jobs uh and yeah if you have the right you know right assistant coaches and frankly the right player personnel staff like let's not let's not ignore Mark Pantone and his group right all of the time and effort that those guys have to spend to make sure that the coaches are being efficient with their time. Um, because you, you know, you can have conversations with kids on game days and on the phone and through tweets and whatever, but they've also got to make sure that they're prepared to go win games. And, and it's all of the other behind the scenes stuff. Like when those kids come in on game day, like they'll be on the field before games and, and an assistant coach come over and say, hi, and talk to him for a few minutes 
but the majority of their time is being spent with the the player development staff, if you will. I mean, Mark Pantone is basically the the general manager of Ohio State football at this point, uh, and that that staff does an insane amount of work to to be able to host events like what they did when Notre Dame came to town. It's uh, it's pretty darn impressive how they keep doing it at such a high level. But um, you know, it, it just goes to show it's more than just being a head football coach, man. You got to have the right player development guys. You got to have the right strength coach. That's probably the second most important hire in your entire program because the strength coach spends more time with guys than any other coach does. Uh, and you have to be in perfect lockstep with your strength coach. If you're going to, if you're going to work as a head coach, um, Ohio state's got the resources. They got the right people in place. Mick Marotti's obviously done a great job. Uh, and it's fun to watch this engine just keep on turning because they have produced talent at a really high level. You acquire it, you develop it, you send it on, and the cycle keeps going. Engine is a pretty accurate description, I think, uh, keeping it turning. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you're an awfully busy guy. I appreciate you spending some time with us here on Ohio Football Weekly. Talk a little, I guess, not recruiting as far as names and players and things on those lines, but just to give fans maybe a little insight as to how this really works and, and just how big a business it is. I know you host a podcast. You do 147 other things. Give folks an idea how they can access what you do. Uh, um, yeah, I, I am uh, – I'm in a lot of places. Um for the Ohio State-related stuff, BuckeyesNow.com is a great place to start. Uh, and we host pretty much every day. We, we do a live stream on our YouTube channel. If you follow us at Buckeyes Now, uh, Buckeyes Now SI is all of our social channels. The, the podcast is called Buckeye Breakdown, uh, and we simulcast it. So it's available both in video form on our YouTube channel. And if you can't watch it live, and that's fine, uh, after the fact, it's it's posted wherever you want to get your favorite podcast, the Apple store, Spotify, Google play, all of that. Um, so that's probably the easiest way. If you, if you're interested in other things related to Ohio state, uh, I actually do quite a bit of broadcast for, for big 10 plus. So I, uh, I mean, I've got a field hockey game on Friday. We're doing soccer and volleyball and a whole bunch of other stuff. And those are available on the, uh, the big 10 plus app. Uh, it's been fun to watch the Buckeyes across all their sports so far. This fall has been pretty darn good. Hello, I am Amy J. Ross Womack, the Executive Director of the Ohio Sickle Cell and Health Association, and I'm here to talk to the parents and student athletes about a very important topic. The NCAA has instituted different standards for all divisions of student athletes. Before you can play sports in any college or university, you must present a negative trait status or hemoglobin status documentation. Your hemoglobin status is taken at birth with the newborn screening. And what they do is they run your blood for any abnormality or any birth defect. There are thousands of newborn screening birth defects in this country. For more information about sickle cell disease, sickle cell trait testing, you can call our offices at 614-228-0157. Or you can visit us via web at ohiosicklecell.org. And we welcome you back to Ohio Football Weekly. We apologize for some of the technical issues we are experiencing tonight with our internet connection. You'll be able to find our interview with Brendan Gulick. It will be posted and available on all of our social media sites, Yamo Media, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all of those sites. You'll be able to find the interview, and it's a very good one. I encourage you to look it up and listen to Brendan's talk about Ohio State football and how the Buckeyes do their recruiting and how it's become such a force in the Big Ten and nationally. You can find that again on Yamo Media. 
Brendan.com. All right, so we appreciate you. And thanks to Brendan for being with us as well, too. And again, that interview, uh, I think uh, you'll, get, you'll find a lot out about how, the, how that entire situation works. So, all right. All right, let's move on now on Ohio Football Weekly. Still to come on the program, Pickering and Central Head Football Coach Jay Sherritt will visit with us, and we'll talk about a great story coming out of the southern part of the state in high school football. Let's move on now. We look every week at the top seven, each division's number one ranked team in the state. That according to the Associated Press. So let's go around the state and check out how things fared for the top seven teams. In Division One, Lakewood St. Edward improved to 4-0. The defending state champs had a crucial game with a very good Cincinnati Elder team and beat them 17-14. How about this week? Lakewood St. Ed goes to Massillon, Washington. Yeah, the Tigers, 3-1 on Friday. That should be a great high school football game. In Division Two, the defending state champions, the Cincinnati Winton Woods team at 4-0 on the season. They come off of a, they're coming off of a win, rather, over Cincinnati Turpin, 46-6. This week, they go to 2-2 two two Little Miami. Dropping down to Division Three. Hamilton Baden is the new number one, according to the Associated Press poll. They moved into the top spot after last year's defending state champion, Chardon. They were upset by Riverside, 21-7. Baden knocked off Roger Bacon, 42-0, and they have a game coming up this week with 2-2 two two Hamilton Ross. So that game comes up on Friday night. Moving over to Division Four, the Tar Blooders from Cleveland Glenville remain atop the Division Four poll. They've won two of their games by a touchdown each. The other two games, they've tossed shutouts, including last week, beating John Marshall. There you see the score, 55-0. They play at 0-2 Collinwood this week. Division 5, Coldwater is the number one-ranked team in the state. They're coming off a win over Anna, 43-14. They take on 1-3 St. Henry. It's not often you say... 1-3 St. Henry, but that's what their record is right now. In Division 6, defending state champion Maria Stein, Marion Local. How about the start they're off to? They're 4-0. After giving up a touchdown on week number one, they haven't allowed a score since. Three straight shutouts. They're coming off a win over Delphi St. John's, 54-0. And they have a big one coming up on Friday, hosting 4-0 New Bremen. And in Division 7, a new number one is Warren John F. Kennedy. They jumped to the top spot after beating Perkins 21-12. They're 4-0 on the season, and they travel to 0-4 Marlington this week. So that's your top seven around the state of Ohio, according to the Associated Press. All right, there were a lot of big performances in week number four of the high school football season. Time now to take a look at those in our high school football notables as we swing around the state of Ohio and give you some of the great performances last week. Clear Fork, a school a little north of the Columbus area with a 44-42 win over River Valley. Look at those rushing numbers. 300 yards combined, six touchdowns in their mid-Ohio Athletic Conference victory over their rival River Valley, 44-42. Elsewhere around the state as we continue along, this young man's getting a lot of attention as he has thrown for 355 yards and seven different receivers and scores last week in a win for Shelby as they knocked off Pleasant 34-6. Braden DeVito having a great start to his freshman year as a high school football quarterback. Elsewhere around the state, Galleons Gabe Ivey unstoppable with 279 yards, four touchdowns, 33 carries as Galleon knocked off Marion Harding by the score of 35-7. to Another game in the north-central Ohio area. Moving over to the northwest part of the state, Napoleon with a big win, knocking off Northview 41-16. Some pretty big numbers in that game. Congratulations to Andrew Williams, 355 yards rushing, set a new school record held by Michael Chips, who ran for 327 just last year. As a team, Napoleon churned out 507 yards of rushing in that game in the northwest part of the state. Well, we talked about it earlier. The big upset in Division Three, the defending state champs were 
knocked off. Chardon beaten by Riverside 21-7. Snapped the Hilltoppers' 31-game winning streak. Great job defensively by Riverside against that high-powered Chardon offense. Held them to 255 yards, 98 of that coming on one play. So the Riverside defense, a big factor in that game in the victory there. How about this night by Ty Goodwin and John Mulville, the head coach of Blanchester, out of running backs, moves his offensive tackle to running back, he carries the ball 42 times for 286 yards and a couple of touchdowns. And then just for good measure, he threw a 41-yard touchdown pass in the win for Blanchard. Blanche they knocked off uh, as they picked up a 30-21 to victory in their game last week. So congratulations to that young man. It's amazing when you think about it. In the southern part of the state, Chillicothe and Waverly, the two cities, are separated by about maybe 10 to 15 miles of Route 23. They haven't played each other since 1935. Until last week, when Chillicothe traveled down to Pike County and hammered Waverly 42-12. The big reason why was the Cavs' defense. They held a very talented running back for Waverly, well below his season per game average. And they held the Tigers as a team to just 88 yards on the ground, well below their 214-yard per game average in that big win. It's hard to imagine uh, that they haven't played since 1935. Just remarkable that those schools are that close, but yet that far away from each other as far as playing each other. And oh, by the way, uh, that's the ninth straight win in that series uh, by Chillicothe. Uh, Waverly has never beaten Chillicothe in high school football. All right, let's move along now. It was a big week in Central Ohio last week. One of the huge rivalry games in this part of the state each and every year is the Battle of Pickerington. And it took place last Friday night and Pickerington Central came away with a touchdown win by the score of 14 to seven. And we're pleased to welcome to our program tonight, the head coach of the Pickerington Central Tigers, Jay Sherrick visits with us tonight. Coach, first of all, congratulations on the win. Always good to see you, my friend. I, I guess we'll get into the game itself here coming up in a couple of moments. Is there any way for you to maybe tell people what coaching in a game like that is like? I mean, you've coached state championship teams, you've coached the state championship games, but a game against your district rival has kind of a different feel to it, doesn't it? You know, it's a very tight situation where, you know, their kids know our kids, our kids know theirs. They played travel baseball, travel basketball, <laughs> peewee football together. And uh, and then you have the two student sections going at it the entire week. So it's a build up to it. Um, it's great. It's great crowd, great for our community, but it's not bad when it's over either. <laughs> I've heard you say that before. I've talked to you before uh, leading up to games like that. And you almost have a sigh of relief when it's over. Certainly, it feels much better, that sigh of relief, when you win that game, which you yeah. did last week. The other thing that's remarkable, Jay, and we were talking about this last week, uh, about the buildup to the game, the amount of talent that walks through the halls at your school, at Pickerington North, it's pretty remarkable. You've been able to both have very good programs. Obviously, yours has had a great deal uh, of success over the years as well, too. But it's pretty remarkable the amount of talent that walks through the halls. Also do at your two schools, isn't it? Yeah, and you're talking at all levels too. I mean, right? I mean, they've had Division One athletes. We've had Division One athletes, but you know, one double A, Division Two, II, Division Three, where you might have a whole team of Division Three, Division Two players, and you can have a great team, win a conference championship, make make some noise in the playoffs. But uh, there was some high level athletes running around on the field on Friday, no doubt about it. And and anybody came there, they, they heard some hits and 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 uh, some hard, uh, hard-nosed football. And that's kind of what that, that rivalry's turned into. And very seldom is it 42 to 41. It's usually going to be pretty smash-mouth and pretty physical. A week like that, certainly it's big. There's a lot of emotion that's, that surrounds it. And you still got a lot of football to play. We hit the halfway point. We're not looking past anything that's ahead for you right now. But I want to ask one more question about a week like that. I referenced at the opening of our discussion the amount of big games you've coached in. It has to be a different feel on the practice field that week, isn't it, Le leading up to a game like that against Pickering to North? 
Well, it's um, it's different than a playoff game because if the playoff game doesn't work out, your season's over. Um, you know, this game, you want to win it. You want to have the bragging rights. You want to be able to do whatever you want and pick town without somebody saying to you. But when it's over, it's over. Uh, you know, we this week we're playing a very talented Gahanna team, uh, playing them at a neutral sign at Thomas Worthington because they're having work done on their stadium. So our guys got to enjoy that over the weekend. But on Monday after school, we have to switch gears and get ready for Gahanna. And our guys know, don't let that game linger. You enjoyed it. We were very fortunate to win it. And now um, we, we don't get any rest. We got to take on Gahanna next. You played a very challenging schedule up to this point of the season. And I know you like to do that because it gets you ready for what awaits your team as you get deeper into the season. Take me through that, Jay. What are the advantages of playing that type of schedule? You've already played Elder. You've, as I mentioned, Pickering to North. You've got a huge one coming up on Friday. It's a conference game. But what are the advantages of playing a schedule like that? Well, I think it um, it hardens our guys. You know, it makes them season campaigners. We we went down and played in the pit at Elder and uh, didn't play very good the first six or seven minutes. Spotted them 10, more, 10 points. End up playing catch-up. They end up beating us 17-7. to seven. And then, um, you know, we played a great ball game over at Wayne. A lot of talent on the field that night, too. That game could have went either way. And, and we gave up a kickoff return that, that ended up being the deciding factor. So those were two long charter trips that uh, really take it out of your team. That's why I was very proud of our guys uh, rebounding, getting into the game plan, setting those two games behind us, and, um, you know, getting ready for pick, picker to North game. And then and we knew it was going to be followed by the uh, – by the Gahanna game, who, who's a very talented team also. So our guys know, and it, it might be a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. It's week to week in football. And um, you know, I, I heard Coach LeBeau say one time, win or lose, you're in the business next week. And our guys do a good job of transitioning forward like that. Take us to both sides of the ball, Jay. Let's talk offense. Uh, give me some standouts there. What, what do you like about your club offensively right now? I think our, you know, we've, we've got Braden Mantooth as a returning quarterback. And he's done an excellent job. We went with a three-quarterback look against North. Uh, got a freshman, Rocco Williams, in there, and, got, and a junior, Terrence Alexander, who also played quarterback in the Wayne game. And um, what we've done is taken our, our offense and given it three distinct looks, and, it, and it, it seems to be gelling. And that was the first week we've really done it. And now this week, it's almost like it's just flowing very smoothly in practice. But uh, the stout – part of our team week in and week out is our defense. Our, our defense coordinator, Jeff Lamonico, has just done uh, a great job year in and year out. And uh, we know if we can hold on to that ball, we've done a pretty good job of it, and we punt it well. Any team that drives 80 yards against our offense, we can tip our hat, our, our defense, we can tip our hat to that. But uh, Jeff Lamonico, he's he's done a great job. And then when you got Kobe Gorman, Raheem Biles, and, uh, and guys like that playing defense for us, R.J. Keesler, um, it's been a very, very stout defense against the run and the pass, and we're definitely going to need it again this week against Kahana. You mentioned tossing a freshman quarterback out onto the field in that game, Pickering to North. Any hesitation at all in doing that? No. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I've done a three-quarterback attack before, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's done fairly well for us as long as we make sure that when those quarterbacks are in that we call plays that's inside their skill set. And um, and that's what we try to do with Braden, our main quarterback, our starting quarterback. And then um, Terrence Alexander, we make sure we call plays that are in his skill set. And the same with Rocco, uh, the freshman. And what it does is it lets those guys relax a little bit. They come stand by me on the sidelines. I send the play in with them, which I, I really like sometimes because you can 
send the plane with the quarterback, coach them up a little bit, and they go out and execute. And, and that was such a tight ball game for them to uh, perform the way they did against North and the big crowd and the atmosphere and all that. And all three of those guys did a great job. And, and, and Braden Mantooth, is, he, I mean, he led the offense, no doubt about it. And um, even when he was standing beside me and, and Terrence Alexander's out there doing his part, uh, you can still feel that uh, Braden's the leader of that offense and, and, and that's how those guys kind of view it. And, and they know that's their responsibility and their role. You've been doing this for a while now, Jay, as a head football coach at the high school level. How much fun is this for you? Or does it depend on the game? <laughs> no, no, it's um, – don't, don't get me wrong. I like it when the games are over at halftime, too. I mean, it's, it's nice, too. But, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's why we do it, the thrill of it. I mean, there's no big money involved. There's no NIL deals, at least not yet here. You know, and, and people are talking about that type of money. And, and um, it's just – you, you hope they do well on their math quiz. You hope you don't get a call uh, from a principal on the way to the game that somebody skipped English class. Jay, you got to hold them out the first half. I mean, this is what high school coaches deal with. And I know college coaches have their things where, you know, the kids got in trouble over the weekend or they have to deal with the news and the media. And, and the NFL, you know, they, most of the time they just release the guys if they become a pain. But, uh, um, you know, it's a holistic type of thing. It's, it's a uh, – it's a lifestyle, and I've really enjoyed it. I've done it for 35 years. Uh, the coaching staff's been with me years and years and years, and and off and on, coaches have come and gone, and and uh, it's just been a unique experience, and it's one that uh, I truly treasure. And and my wife Linda and I, we just we just live it, and, and we enjoy it, and we love it. I recall talking to you a couple of years ago after one of the shows I was hosting, and we caught you, I think, on your cell phone. You were at the store uh, doing some shopping, some grocery store shopping, and it was just a couple of days after you'd won the state championship. And It just was just kind of surreal that here's the, the head coach of the state champion. Well, he's out just doing his shopping now. No big deal. No big parades or anything at that point. And right. I think that you hear this term used a lot, Jay. It keeps everything in perspective, and I think that's over you sometime. But – as you said, that's what you do. You're a high school football coach. You you have you still have you still have a life to live. Yeah, it's it's your lifestyle, and and I'm kind of glad we were doing this this online thing tonight. That kept me from having to mow the yard. I could <laughs> mow the yard off another day, but and my, you know it's not going to mow itself. But uh, um, no, it's fun, and it, it, and I think sometimes coaches um, get outside the box about what it's about, and. And yeah, it's the X's and O's and knowing football and, and all that stuff. But the relationships you build with, with coaches over the years and, and players. And like tonight, we had a couple of alums come back to our practice. They just they got off work early and they wanted to stop out there. And and that's that's the part. You know, people always ask me, how do you deal with the parents? I don't deal with the parents. The hardest thing for any football coach is to deal with an injured player who has busted his butt all offseason lifting and that type of thing. And and, uh, you know, we had uh, uh, Casey Mittendorf, who started our game off um, with a, just a tremendous touchdown catch from uh, Braden Mantooth and banged up his shoulder. And, uh, you know, and, and if anybody doesn't know high school football or know anything about football, shoulders go out and shoulders go back in. And it's not for the weak. It's not for the meek and mild. And um, they got his shoulder back in and, and he's feeling a lot better. And, and we're hoping to have him back here in another week or two. But that's the part that breaks your heart. The parents, all that kind of stuff in high school football, they love their kids and they should. But uh, um, I don't mean to go off on tangent, but this, no, is, no, this no. is how we've done it this, this, this long. And, and we're going to do it until I'm done. 
uh, as we wrap up, you have a big one coming up on Friday with Gehanna. As you touched on, uh, it adds a little bit different to it because it's at a neutral site. You're going to play at Thomas Worthington because of the work being done uh, on, the, on the field at Gehanna right now. You've had to do that before for various and, and sundry different reasons. You've played big games at different sites. So for your team, it's just another Friday night of high school football, uh, albeit you're playing a pretty good football team on Friday night, right? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a really neat way to end our non-league. We've got five mm-hmm. non-league games, and and what we'd really like to to win, you know, to finish that first half of the season with a winning record. But you know, we're going to go in there and play Gahanna. Gahanna's thinking the same way. Um, I'm not saying it has you know have a little bit of playoff atmosphere. I think because we're at a neutral site and and, and two top teams in Central Ohio going at it. But uh, um, even all that aside and stuff, I know they're probably looking for a big ball game, and and so are we. And then you know, take that momentum into the OCC play, which we both start next week. Jay, it's always a pleasure. I appreciate your time. And, I, and I'm really sorry we didn't allow you to cut your grass tonight. I, I can tell you're crushed by that. <laughs> uh, my wife, I see. There she is. Uh-huh. Sorry, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Blame me. It's, it's all my fault. Uh, I'm sorry. I'll come over and cut the grass for you. How's that? That'll make up for it, okay? Yeah, we'll get it done. Marty, thanks for having on me. And thanks for doing everything for high school football. Jay, it's always a pleasure. Good luck the, the rest of the season. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, buddy. Jay Sher, the head football coach at Pickerington Central. I've, I've caused a domestic issue now on the program. Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> maybe we'll send Adam over to cut the, the Sherrod's grass. <laughs> All right, let's move along now. As we talked about earlier, one of the big stories coming out of the southern part of the state of Ohio centers on one of the great football powers in the state of Ohio, in that part of the state, and that's the Ironton Fighting Tigers. And they've had such a great tradition over the years. If you've never seen a game at Tank Stadium at Ironton, I encourage you to do so. It's a spectacular place to see a high school football game. I mentioned earlier how they were number one in the state this week. That was last week. They dropped down behind Coldwater in uh, the, the rankings in Division Five. You're There you see the top ten in the state in Division Five. Now, we're going to play this piece for you from the show Gridiron Glory, which airs at Ohio University's WOUB. And it was a tremendous job on this story by Chloe. G. Workman. She's a student at Ohio, uh, wants to become a, a broadcaster, and has, a, has done a great job with this story. And after we run the story for you, then we're going to bring Chloe on and have her talk about that a little bit. But first of all, this is the story on Ironton quarterback Tayden Carpenter from Chloe G. Workman of WOUB and Gridiron Glory. Practicing touch the ball. I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. The quarterback for Ironton, Tayden Carpenter, faces a different challenge. He was born deaf. I get lose it all at first. I lost some of it and then I completely lost it when I was two. And it just, I got surgery that like following two months and they did surgery and they had to cut open my head and put like a magnet in it. Two exactly is a landmark age to where if you're gonna lose it completely, you lose it. So he woke up, it was about a week before Christmas and he lost it completely. The battle to get insurance to cover a cochlear implant was slow. The weight led Tayden's speech to slowly deteriorate but one word remained. Uh, the very last word, his last word he could say was ball, but it was bah. So he would just, he, we remembered he, he lost mom and dad way before that, but he could say bah. Once Tayden got a cochlear implant, he started school. He was part of the first class to attend the L program at Marshall University, a program created to help deaf and hard of hearing kids to learn to listen and speak. But the work extended outside of the classroom. His sister, Tegan, constantly pushed him. Well, my mom would tell me I was like his speech therapist. If he would say a word wrong, I'd correct him, and I still do. I just, if he says it wrong, he gets mad at me when I do it, but he says like a lot of words wrong, so I just tell him when he said how to say it right. What, I, what is your name? 
take down. I don't think she realizes how much she's helped me. Uh, throughout the years, I think she probably would never know how much she really did help me, but uh, there's times that I did get mad when she's helped me say words, right? But at the end of the day, I just realized that she did that because she was trying to help me. He also found help within his community and his football team. I mean, the people that I played with, they opened arms and welcomed me into the game. It was just a cool experience. I mean, they obviously didn't have to do that, and they probably would have thought I was like an odd person. But I just kind of like, after that first game, I just showed them like I can play. So I was kind of like, I can play with y'all. So it was just cool, and they all went accepting. And from that day forward, it was just kind of like, they were all like welcoming. So it was a real nice feeling. While being deaf has many disadvantages, Tayden has been able to use it to gain an upper hand. It, it helps a lot. I don't, it's kind of, I mean, really no noise phase me in the games. I hear a lot of noise, but uh, when I take off the ear, it just completely changes for me. I mean, it's quiet. It's no outside noise. I, I just focus on what I see. So I kind of say that being deaf was horrible, but at the same time, I feel like it helped my eyesight just seeing more than what I see. So, so really from junior high on, as the game kind of evolved, it's been probably perfect for him. He probably loves it because it's literally very little talking. And I think that's probably why he likes sports so much too. I think it's in his element. You don't have to work so hard to hear people, understand stuff. You just get to see and then react. So, Of all the players Tayden has had to look up to, there was one in particular that pushed him to keep going. Cole Fremont, a former player at Eastern Beaver High School. Well, because we're kind of much alike because we both have an implant, you know, I mean, we're deaf and we both like football, and that's when he's wanted to look for somebody just like me to want to look up. I never had any spares uh, like Katie House to be able to look up the football player who's deaf because there wasn't any deaf football player around here. I didn't really think there was like anybody else that kind of played football that was deaf. So I kind of was like, I don't know if I want to keep doing it because I didn't feel like there was no, I get felt odd that I was in there. And then um, their family actually texted us and said that we should come to the games. And I was like, of course I wanted to. So I was like really excited. Kind of felt like it was a big moment for me. Like I felt like I met my idol and I was just like walking in there. And uh, I talked to him after the game. It was just cool to have somebody that was like me. So uh, it kind of like pushed me, inspired me more. So it was just, it was a cool feeling. And now Tayden has his sights set on where his journey with hearing loss all began, Marshall University. I never really went to practice or a game and thought, like, this ain't fun. I just, I've always loved it, so, and I like anything with doing it. Like, even when I was in middle school, if I didn't play, I would do ball boy. Like, I had to do something with the football team, so I just, I knew I was always wanting to do that. For Gridiron Glory, I'm Chloe G. Workman. Well, what a tremendous story about a young man that's overcome so much to be on the football field. And as I mentioned, uh, that, that's a program that has such tradition and such high expectations every year. And uh, football is such a very big part of that part of the state of Ohio. And a great story by uh, Chloe G. Workman. And Chloe is visiting with us right now. And Chloe, uh, first of all, tremendous work on that story. You don't need me to tell you that, but it was just great. Take me through the emotions of doing something like that and talking to a young man who is doing what he's doing. It had to be a special feeling to put a story like that together, I would think. Yeah, for sure. When I very first reached out to him, him and his family were just the nicest people you could even imagine. They were so open to wanting to talk about this and, and just they were just really, really sweet and kind and accommodating to me. There were several different times that I cried while I was putting the pieces together 
even just talking about it and some of the stuff that like didn't make the cut, but some other quotes and stuff, there were several times that I cried and me being from Southeast Ohio, it is like extremely important to me to be able to tell these kinds of stories. And like I mentioned on uh, social media, like I had had this story in my mind for a whole year. So being able to finally tell it and show the world and seeing all the, all of the really good comments we've gotten, I, I really am proud of it, I, I guess I should say. And I even had his parents reach out to me again this past week and said, hey, uh, just letting you know, like you did an amazing job. People are coming up to me at the games and like, and saying this was a great story and, and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, I really, I, I've shed a lot of tears, happy, like happy emotional tears, but overall it's been really, I've just been really happy to be able to tell his story. And Chloe, I know you got a chance to go down to Ironton and see what goes on around that program. And as I mentioned, it's a pretty special environment around Ironton football. And not that it makes any difference that it's a program with such tradition and such intense fan base and following, but it does make this a little different when this young man's a quarterback of a team that right now is ranked number two in the state of Ohio. I think everybody expects him to be playing for a state championship on down the line. It adds just a little different, I guess, feel of importance or uh, just what this young man's able to do, it really adds something to it, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. That was one of my questions I had asked his parents. I said, you can see how uh, your son, I mean, he's great at football. He took them when he was a freshman, he took him to the state championship. Sadly, the last two years, he kind of battled with injuries. But and now, I mean, he's bounced right back and there could be playing for a state title here once again. And whenever I asked them that, they were like, well, I wouldn't say great. I'd say he's mediocre. And I'm like, okay, you're being humble. Well, that's that's funny because whatever this young man does on the football field, because of what he's dealing with, in my opinion, would have to be considered great. I mean, it's a different. It, it's got to be different to see uh, how he handles things and how they they handle practice and all the things. That, I know. He, I know he has the implant, which helps obviously a, a great deal. So he's able to communicate uh, on a one to one basis. But it's still it's it's football, and there's a lot going on all at once. Where there's a lot of different things happening, and the simple fact that this young man's able to play at this level and do the things that he's doing is pretty remarkable, isn't it? I, yeah, of course. And being the quarterback, I mean, yeah. that's... It's not like he's a kicker or a, a backup yeah. safety, yeah. That, that, that's that's yeah, pretty no, important. Yeah, I agree. Well, when you went down there, the reaction to the fans, and, and as I talked about, the, the amount of uh, intensity that surrounds that program, they're used to coverage and getting coverage like that. It seemed to me in watching the, the, the piece you put together, they were so very welcoming, and they didn't look at this any other way than this is a great chance to show people what this young man is all about. Yeah, when I went there, so I had seen there had been other stories done on him the, his freshman year when he had went to the state championship, but it all had been about how he is leading this team while being deaf. And I really wanted to take it a step further. I wanted to know about his life, what led up to this point. And I like, when I first started talking to him and his mom and his dad, they were like, I was like, oh, you guys are probably used to it. I mean, there's, there's coverage down here all the time. People are coming all the time. And they were like, Eh, not really. I mean, we've never had anything like, like this before because the interviews itself went like 30 minutes with him, 30 minutes with his parents, and then like 20 minutes with his sister. So they were like, we've never had anything this like in-depth before. But no, they they were awesome. Like they they just, they handled everything perfectly. And his mom had actually come up to me like while I was at practice, I was waiting on him to like shower, change, get out of the locker room. 
And his mom had walked up to me and introduced herself and she was like, hey, we're so excited to talk with you and everything. So, yeah, I mean, they are every time I go to those games, there are several different um, uh, like media people. But, right. yeah, they, they just acted like like this was all new to them. So you do a work you do work for a program that's called gridiron glory and for those who know anything about ohio university's broadcasting uh, class of the journalism and the script school and all the other things that surround ohio as far as broadcasting concerned uh, there are many many talented people that have walked through those doors and this gridiron glory show is one that i know uh, there's a lot of love and care in this program and uh, many many students are involved in it you, you you play a huge role in that show as well too maybe give our, our viewers kind of an idea of what happens with that program retreat where do you go what games do you cover how do you do the things that you do? Um, I'm actually on like the exec team this year. So what we do typically is we have meetings on Sundays. We have kind of like a lead reporter of each conference. So we have the TVC Ohio, the TVC Hawking, the OVC, MVL, MSL, FAC, a bunch of this. The, obviously, they, they want to cover pretty much the whole 740 uh, range. And uh, they have like a lead reporter. So someone that's like a senior of each conference that'll come and they'll pitch two games they want to see that week. This year, uh, producers and the exec team really wanted to take it a step further and they wanted to incorporate a lot more community stories like this one because when it comes down to it, that is the stuff that matters. And we have found a lot so far, but yeah, uh, we pitch these games and then we actually talk about it. We think, we think about all the storylines, how good are these games going to be, all kinds of stuff. And we carefully choose each week what game we're going to see. And then every Friday night, we put the show on. It's, a, it's all completely student-ran, every bit of it. And we put on a 30-minute uh, show every Friday night after all of the games are concluded, pretty much recapping all of the games that we saw and, like, running over those community storylines like I had mentioned. And that's pretty much, yeah, what we do. And, I mean, a, a lot of people have been through this program, have gone on to get some really great jobs, too. Chloe, great job on that story. Again, like I mentioned at the top, you don't need me to tell you that, but uh, I've enjoyed working with you and watching you develop over the last few years. And this was a tremendous story. And uh, it, one man's opinion, you crushed it. Great work. And I know it was a special thing for you to, to, to take part in and, and, and put together and get on the air. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it tonight. Thank you. All right, Chloe G. Workman, student at Ohio University, uh, closing out on graduation, oh, by the way. And, yeah, what a tremendous story on, on that young man, uh, Tayden Carpenter, and, and, and all that he has to overcome uh, to play high school football. And as you heard him say, he wants to go to Marshall. He wants to play for the Thundering Herd. If you're not familiar, Huntington to Ironton's about, a, I guess, maybe a 30-minute drive, if that, in, in that part of uh, the state of Ohio. So uh, that's a, a tremendous thing. So, again, thanks to Chloe for visiting with us here tonight. As I mentioned, we still have a Twitter poll up for you, and you can hit that. At Marty Bannister is the Twitter page, my handle, tw at Marty Bannister. It's our Ohio Football Weekly poll. We're asking you, what part of the state plays the best high school football in Ohio. And right now, Northeast Ohio has the lead at 34% of the votes, followed by Southwest Ohio, the central southeastern part of the state is third right now, and Northwest is last in the voting. And again, that's online, about another oh, 45 minutes or so available to vote in our poll there. So that will do it for tonight's program. Uh, again, all of our uh, programming will be available on our social media pages, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook. You'll be able to find everything simply 
type in Yamo Media, Y-A-M-O Media, M-E-D-I-A.com, and that will take you to our site, which will then take you to the links to this program and clips from all the things you saw on this program tonight, including our interview with Brendan Gulick, uh, cuts from uh, Jay Sherritt, and from Chloe G. Workman. Adam Dells, our showrunner. We thank him so much for all his efforts tonight. I'm Marty Bannister. Next week's program will include a visit with Ryan Miller, former Ohio State linebacker, who will join us and talk about his second and seven foundation, which provides books for high school students and college students as well, too. So we'll talk to Ryan Miller, among other guests, coming up on next week's program, Ohio Football Weekly. Enjoy week number five of the high school football season this Friday night.